We see through the COVID pandemic, our frailty and the need for safety. We see that through racial and ethnic injustice and oppression. We see it in war. Our hearts long for safety. And the question before us in the text we'll read in a a moment as we continue our series in 1 John is, how do you navigate life safely? What is a dangerous world in turbulent times? I don't have to convince you that the world is a dangerous place, rife with trouble. The question is, how do you safely navigate through it? I remember decades ago when I was a student pilot flying a Cessna 152, which we affectionately called a bug smasher, and I was on my, my first cross-country flight with my instructor in the right seat. And after some time of travel, I think my instructor began to pick up on, on the signals he'd probably seen hundreds of times from hundreds of students before. I was looking down at the map on my knee and then Uh, looking out at the windscreen at the terrain, probably with a puzzled look on my face, and then looking back at the map. Finally, he asked, (laughs) you don't know where you are, do you? I nervously pointed to a place on the map, and I said, well, I think I'm here. And he said, why there? And my anxiety and fear just rose more. And I said, well, I think that mountain is, is here on the map, but honestly, I can't find that river uh, anywhere. He smiled and said, so what are you going to believe, the map or the terrain? In other words, I'd been talking myself into making the, the map fit the earth below me. Instead, the truth was I was somewhere else entirely. I needed to shift my thinking, what I believed. I needed to let the truth of the map inform me about where I really was. How do you navigate life in and through a dangerous world, especially when the map doesn't match the terrain? When there is much uh, and many voices calling to you around you to believe and trust them, but they can be vastly different voices. The Apostle John addresses this life for the follower of Christ in a dangerous world in his first letter to the church in 1 John 4 verses 1 through 6. As we continue the series we've begun called That You May Know. Follow with me as I read this text. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. What you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. 
By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Pray with me, please. Father, in this time of looking in your word, may uh, we know, may we hear, may our hearts resonate with the spirit of truth. And may you protect us and keep me from anything that would be from a spirit of error. Lord, let your word shape us and strengthen us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Test the spirits. John tells the believer, why test them? Because, John writes, there are spirits that are from God and spirits that are not from God. And each side is making opposing claims. Now, we tend to look down our collective postmodern noses at the idea of spirits. You might be interested to know that uh, more of the world's people take the spiritual realm for granted. Test the spirits, John says. How do spirits make claims anyway? Well, John immediately connects the spirits from the first verse with the false prophets that have gone out into the world. In other words, these prophets or teachers are going around making claims, but ultimately they're serving as agents of spiritual forces. And these forces are in conflict. So this vital need to test what is being taught, according to John, is because there is a cosmic spiritual battle that's being played out in the world, in the realm of humanity. Test the spirits, he writes, through testing what is being confessed, what is being asserted by these teachers, these prophets. Test what I'm saying. The spiritual battle intersects with humanity, of course, in the original rebellion of man against his creator. We see that back in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. When the leader of the opposition, Satan, in the form of a serpent, whispered that lie to Eve that led to death for mankind, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree, of any tree of the garden? And in page after page of Scripture, we see this battle between God and those spiritual forces aligned against him play out in scene after scene in the Bible. God and his hosts and those beings aligned against him. Paul makes this clear in Ephesians, where he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Listen, it's not against humanity but against rulers and against the authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This battle being waged, it's a spiritual one. It's bigger than you. But John wants us to understand that this battle plays out in the human realm through competing prophecies, competing teaching. That same question did God actually say, continues to echo through the world today. This is the reason John wrote these words to the church 2,000 years ago. The reason he did was because there were these pious-sounding teachers coming into the church and teaching unbiblical doctrine. It sounded good, looked good, looked like the map, 
But John writes, no, don't believe. First, test. Do not allow yourself to be talked into matching the terrain to the map. Don't let your heart hold on to what you're hearing until you've contemplated it and tested it with your head. In fact, the word test that's used here means scrutinize, or maybe even better, make a critical examination of something. John's saying, look, grip it with your heart only after you've put what's being said on trial. Is it from God or not? This is true for all truth claims. Every claim your heart clings to even applies to your claim as a Christian. John's writing to the church, after all. He doesn't say, test bogus claims. He says, test everything. And I know this is fearful territory for many Christians who maybe sometimes wrestle, even privately, with the claims that their heart are holding on to questions about their faith. Can I test that? Should we test what we believe? Should I critically examine this? And John says, yes. Test. See whether this is from God. The pastor Tim Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, writes this. He says, faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies. Only if you struggle long and hard with objections to your faith will you be able to provide grounds for your beliefs to skeptics, including yourself, that are plausible rather than ridiculous. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts which should only be discarded after long reflection. Tim Keller is saying the same thing to Christians that John says to the church here. Test, not sweep questions under the rug. You don't build spiritual antibodies by social distancing from the questions you have. Christians need to test, is this from God? Why does John write this? The stakes are high in this battle between God and the opposing forces. This is a battle of of life and death. God says to his people through Moses in Deuteronomy 30, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that your offspring may live. Life and death. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Look, the world is a dangerous place, and the consequences of what you believe and having your heart aligned with one side of the battle over the other are high. And there are ways that seem right, but its end is death. In Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring, when Frodo and Sam set out on their journey away from the Shire, Sam confesses his anxiety of this danger in the moment to Frodo. He says, if I take one more step, it'll be the farthest from home I've ever been. 
To which Frodo replies, come on, Sam. Remember what Bilbo used to say. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out of your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. It's a dangerous business, living in the 21st century. How do we keep our feet on this perilous journey? John says, test, listen, consider, examine. See what's from God and what's opposed to him. There's a spiritual battle being waged, John says, through the claims of these teachers, through humanity, even today. Life and death claims. So then the question is, well, what's the test? What's the test? John makes very clear where the point of reference is on the map in this text, where the lines are drawn between these spiritual forces as they play out in humanity. We look back to verse 2, John writes this, by this you know, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. What's John saying? We know he's getting at something much deeper than merely saying the words, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Remember in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So a teacher calling Jesus Lord isn't the test. John's talking about something much more. What John is doing is shorthanding the incarnation of Christ, the reality of the union of God and man in Christ, and the vast implications of that. God the Son leaving his throne in heaven and taking on flesh, living the life of righteousness that God required that you and I could never live, and dying the death that you and I deserved and rising again, still fully God and fully man. And John's shorthand for all of this is, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The spirit that confesses this, the one under the authority of this, the one whose heart and life are shaped by this, resting in the reality of being united to Christ as this, that's the one that's from God and come in the flesh. That's the test. All others are fakes. They're antichrists, opposed to God and his purposes. And there's not a third group. There's no third group. I remember when we served Colleen and I uh, in India, people were happy to say that Jesus is a God, but not the only true God, which denies that Christ has come in the flesh. People I encountered were happy to say, whoa, Jesus is a very good teacher, but ignore what he taught. There were teachings in the early days of the church that can continue today that say things like Jesus only appeared as a man, or he was never actually really God, or he was only a God, just like you and I might become someday, maybe. The test, John says, the reference point for truth and error is not merely saying the words. It is having a heart that's gripped by the reality of God himself coming and dwelling among us. 
You hear it in John's words at the very beginning of, of this letter. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched with our hands, the word of life made flesh, which we testify to and proclaim to you. That's the test. Has the heart of the prophet been conquered by the spiritual reality of the incarnation of Christ? On one side of the battle are those hearts conquered by him. On the other, it's the world speaking to the world. On this side, truth. On the other side, error. This side, life. The side, death. And John says, test. With Jesus as the reference point between the two. Jesus answers the question, does this spirit, this teaching come from God? Is it true? But what is truth? John says every spirit that confesses Christ is from God, which he then connects to the spirit of truth in verse 6. If Christ is the reference point, then what comes from God is truth, and what proceeds from the world is error. More and more people today bristle when you even mention the word truth. People have asked me, how can you claim absolute truth in Christianity? That's so, that's so narrow. There is no absolute truth. To which I've snarkily replied, do you mean that absolutely? And I confess that that that's usually not a reply that really helps the conversation. So I've tried to learn to nuance that a little bit. But you see the problem. Claiming there is no truth is itself a truth claim. More popular today, maybe, are the notions of relativism, which claim that truth actually stems from our own historical and cultural moment and is individual, or particular to my community, you know, uh, my truth, your truth. Tim Keller says in Reason for God, clearly states the objection this way. No one should claim they know the truth since no one can judge whether one assertion about spiritual and moral reality is truer than another. Peter Berger, a sociologist, answers that objection, writing, saying, no belief can be held as universally true for everyone is itself a comprehensive claim about everyone that is itself the product of social conditions. Relativity relativizes itself, he writes. So we can't have relative, uh, relativism all the way down. In other words, we don't have to be shy about asserting truth. We can claim to know it. But biblically speaking, truth isn't a what. Biblically speaking, truth is a who. John, in his gospel account, records the words of Jesus in chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The very reason that Jesus is the reference point between what is true and what is error, what our hearts can and should hold on to, and what they should reject, 
the reference between life and death, the very reason that Jesus is the map in the battle between truth and error is because he himself is truth and the way and the life. John says, test what you hear against the reality of the one who is truth. That's why Jesus is the answer to the question, is this from God? Just as in John's day, there are plenty of people making plenty of claims today that even sound like they come from God. Just turn on the TV. Giving God is obligated to give back to you. The more you do for God, the more he'll do for you. God helps those who help themselves. You deserve all these blessings. If you want to get to God, you just need to clean up your act. But error very often comes in sheep's clothing. Some error just sounds good or feels good, appeals directly to our hearts, our emotions. C.S. Lewis wrote a novel called The Screwtape Letters in which the senior demon named Screwtape is writing to his nephew called Wormwood, who's only a junior tempter, and Screwtape is trying to mentor Wormwood um, toward the damnation of a man called the patient through the religion of materialism. And in the book, Screwtape writes to Wormwood about the patient, and here's what he says. Don't waste time trying to make him think that materialism is true. Make him think that it's strong or stark or courageous, that it's the philosophy of the future, that's the sort of thing he cares about. He's saying, don't let him test us against truth. Appeal to his heart, his emotion, his pride, so it can bypass his head. Skip the test. Skip the truth. John says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test Test, is it true? Is the map referencing the terrain or is it the other way around? Jesus is the truth and the reference point for those things our hearts can safely cling to. But he's not only the truth, John writes, he's also the way. How do you safely navigate through a dangerous world? Listen, that day that I was on that cross-country flight, you know, I had my instructor in the right seat next to me. He knew exactly where I was. But Jesus isn't just the guy in the right seat. He's the very path and the journey I travel through this life to safely enter into eternal life. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 puts it this way. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That's the incarnation and his death by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. It's through his incarnation, his coming in the flesh, his giving himself up that has opened, do you hear that? The way for his beloved. The way to where? To God himself. And he guides his followers safely on that path. John records Jesus in his gospel where he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
And my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. They hear me. Truth, they follow me, and they will live eternally. Jesus is the reference point because he is the truth and has become the way to eternal life through his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection. That's why he is safety through a dangerous world. Because all of the error, all of the sin, all of the opposition, the brokenness, the danger of a fallen world, even death itself, the death we deserved, was poured out on him at the cross 2,000 years ago. And if you've never called on him, if you've never brought to him your sin, your opposition against a holy and just God, your shame, you are living from your own system of truth that the world keeps speaking to your heart, I invite you, consider Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. If you've been looking at the terrain in a constant and exhausting reorienting of yourself, your truth, what you control, I invite you, be reconciled through Jesus who says, come to me and rest. Know the truth. Follow me. I'm the way of safety through this world to the Father, and you'll walk safely on it. So we live in a dangerous world where spiritual battle rages. We've looked at the test for navigating through that world with Jesus, our reference point is truth himself. So we're not blown and battered by nice-sounding ideas and philosophies as we test claims. He himself is the way safely home in a journey through a broken world for those who follow him. The last question maybe then from the text is, how do I know? How do I know if I test the spirits and discern truth and error? How do I know? Am I left to myself to figure out what's true? What's from God as I navigate the world? After all, the sermon series is called That You May Know. John says it here too in verse 6 at the end. He says, by this we know. By what? What is this? If it's just up to me to figure out, I end up back in the slide of relativism. So what's my confidence to know for certain? Look at verse 6. John writes, we are from God. Whoever knows God, that means they've called on Jesus, come in the flesh, and been united to him. Whoever knows God listens to us. First, we know God. How do we know what is from God? We know know God through the way, the truth, Jesus Christ. And then John says, those people listen to us. Listen to who? Listen to John. Listen to those from God. In other words, listens to the testimony of the church. Listens to the apostles. Listens to the prophets. Okay, where do I hear this? We hear it in the Bible. In God's revelation of himself in Scripture. We know through Scripture as we read, as we hear the word preached, as we study. I was recently watching a Netflix series 
where one cartel, probably not the most uplifting show, uh, one cartel was making an exchange with another cartel, and um, one had the goods and the other had the cash, and before the deal was consummated, each checked out the other's items, and each cartel said, yeah, okay, this, that's great. But one young woman who had been eyeing the cash stepped forward and said, asked if she could examine the bills. And she grabbed a stack and kind of rifled through them. And then she stopped and she pulled one out and said, this one's a fake. <laughs> Obviously, the room got very tense suddenly. And the man she was with, now pretty anxious, said, um, uh, how do you know? And, and she said, each bill should weigh a gram. And then suddenly a scale was produced. Imagine cartels having scales. The scale was produced and, and they weighed the bill. And sure enough, it was light. And she kept going through the bill. She said, this one's a fake too. And they weighed that one. And, and that one was light. Finally, one of the men turned to her and asked, how do you know that? And she said, I spent years on the streets as a money changer. I know how to spot a fake. The psalmist writes, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, my way. How do you see the path? How do you know you are on the way? What's from God? Look through the light and the truth of the word. How do you test the spirits? Learn to spot the fakes. How do you spot the fakes? Handle the word a lot. Handle the word like a money changer handles bills. Be in community groups. Include scripture in your devotional study time. Meditate on the word. Memorize scripture. There are plenty of, of memory systems and Bible reading systems available on the web. If you want to know, get light for your path. Handle the truth a lot. As a guy who graduated seminary, I confess there's still a lot I'm, I'm learning and I don't know. And people have said to me, well, I understand a lot of things in scripture, but some things are really hard to understand. And, and um, only seminaries uh, overcomplicate complicated things with more complicated words. But the 25 cent theological term for this is perspicuity of scripture. The Westminster Confession says this about this, this idea those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. L let me put it simply. The parts of Scripture necessary to be known and believed so that you can know on your journey are clear. When Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, that's pretty clear, right? Through reading of Scripture, hearing it preached, participating in Bible studies, reading good books, you may attain unto a sufficient understanding. In other words, you'll be able to spot fakes. That's one way you can know. You can be confident. The word shining on your path leads you through danger. You know God. So you listen to his word. You know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
Second way you can know, you see it here in our passage. Remember, ultimately, this is a spiritual battle. In the verse just before the text that we read this morning, John writes this, By this we know that he, meaning God, abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So God's very presence by his Spirit lives inside every believer. And in our text this morning, John builds on that reality in verses 2 and 4, where he writes, By this you know the Spirit of God. And then in verse 4 he says, Little children, speaking to those following Christ, You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God's own presence dwells in the believer. How do we know the Spirit of God? He lives in us. And he is greater than all of the forces opposed to God and has, get the tense of the verb there, has already overcome them. Because he's greater than all of the worldly spiritual representatives opposing God. How will you know? Because the Spirit of truth as John records in his gospel, will guide you into all truth. Who is truth? Jesus. That's how you know when you test. God's word and his spirit inside you reveal the fakes. And they guide your heart to confidently cling to what is true and beautiful and life-giving eternally. Christian The prophets still come and make claims. We need to test. We need to ask ourselves and each other, what are we looking at here? Are we looking at the map or are we looking at the terrain? And we cannot commit our hearts until we root out the fakes through the word and the spirit as we walk the way opened up to us in Christ. You must test. Sometimes sometimes those are cultural prophets that are popular. They say, the people who look most like me are favored by God. But the word and the spirit say, he made from one man every nation of mankind. Or they whisper, just this one more thing, and and you'll be satisfied. But the word and the Spirit say, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which doesn't satisfy? Listen to me, God says, and delight yourself in rich food. Or sometimes there are the prophets that we, we play to ourselves, those tapes that we continue to play and listen to. Who could love me? You don't know what I'm like. And the Word and the Spirit say, I love you, daughter, because of Jesus. Or we believe, you know, I'm only as valuable as my, my net value or the neighborhood I live in. And the word and the spirit say, you are my precious treasure. The world says, you don't matter. 
And the word and spirit say, you matter so much, I gave my son. Test the spirits against all the prophets out there and in here. In a dangerous world, what are you trusting, the map or the terrain? For those on the way to life eternal, trusting truth himself, testing and knowing by the word and the spirit, just know one day the map and the terrain will forever be the same. No more struggle, no more turbulence, no more brokenness. There is a day coming when John's words here will no longer apply. The spiritual battle we find ourselves in has already been won by Christ at the cross. And his victory will be seen by all. His victory declared over the enemy, over all those opposing him, even death itself, where all error will yield eternally to truth. Where dangers of this present world will no longer exist where all brokenness will be unbroken and every wounded and sick thing will be healed. The map and the terrain will match perfectly. Martin Luther penned those lyrics in the hymn A Mighty Fortress centuries ago. And here's one of the stanzas. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, it's a dangerous world, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And that word is Jesus. Come in the flesh. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we have so many voices calling to us uh, and telling us, um, look over here. Look over there. Believe this. Believe that. Uh, let your heart own this. And Lord, uh, I confess sometimes it's, sometimes it's hard to know what to give your heart to. But we thank you that you remind us from Scripture, from truth, that Jesus is truth. And he is the way that for all who follow him, who have had their hearts gripped by him, we have a safe way through a dangerous world. Shine the light of truth on our path. Keep us safe as we know you guide us confidently, courageously, safely home. In Jesus' name, amen.